Welcome to the Conquer Your Draft Podcast, where fantasy champions are made. Welcome back to the Conquer Your Draft Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Josh, and with me as always is Mike. How you doing, Mike? Good. I'm, uh, I'm, I still think I'm in the lull as we wait for the fantasy draft to happen, but we're one week closer to camps opening and preseason. So that kind of is when I think the energy starts to move because we get closer and closer to the fantasy draft. So hopefully that lull will end soon. Yeah, hopefully it's, uh, been a busy week at least for news like we're starting to get into that more fast-paced news cycle so we are definitely getting closer and closer uh, i think the jets kicked off their training camp today if i'm not mistaken i saw something about all their players are on the field together i'm not sure if it was the start of training camp or if it was something else but the, the team for the jets is all together now as of today mm. uh wednesday the 19th of july so we are officially into this section of the the off season. They probably have to do some extra early stuff for hard knocks, wouldn't they? Because they'll get they some, might yeah you know, footage for that show. Maybe yeah, I'm not sure if that plays like a big role into it or maybe yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. That might be something that we find out in hard knocks. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, a lot of news since we uh, since we last recorded. Most important and on everybody's mind right now would be uh, Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs. So in case you haven't heard as of uh, when this podcast airs, both Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs did not sign their franchise tender, did not come to a long-term contract deal with their respective teams on Monday before the deadline. And it's already become pretty clear the potential long-term consequences because essentially Josh Jacobs has reportedly stated he will not attend training camp unless he was offered a new deal before the deadline. So that didn't happen. So I think it's safe to say he's not going to be showing up training camp now. While Saquon Barkley is planning on holding out of training camp and has made comments about potentially holding out for not only just the season opener, but for the entire season and just basically saying, screw you to the giants. He used much more colorful language, but in the sake of not getting in trouble, I'm paraphrasing him. Yeah. We're on public radio now. We can't quote him exactly. (laughs) Can't quote him exactly, but you can look it up if you want to know exactly what he said. Uh, It was very colorful, but essentially in order to uh, stick it to his team, he's, he's basically left the door open to like, I may not play a single down of football this season. So uh, we're going to talk about it a bit more when we get into our running back rankings episode, which is going to be the episode following this one. But just keep that in mind that players don't make these threats idly, especially because he doesn't really have a position of like negotiation right now. Like they, they can't go and be like, oh, well, he might not play. We're going to give him a new long term deal right now. Like that, that window is closed now. So now essentially it's just how much does Saquon want to get paid this year? Uh, Because he can, both him and Jacobs can hold out a training camp without consequence. Like nothing will change for them. And the only, it really only starts impacting them when they start missing games because then they won't get paid for those games. So every game they miss, the less they get paid this year. 
Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't impact them from their standpoint, but we've seen when players miss training camp, they often come out of the gate slow. Injuries can sometimes happen or they have a terrible season. So, I mean, like this is a massive blow to both both the Raiders and the Giants, and you'd think they'd be freaking out, but the way football management is now, they're like, we'll find a younger person and just throw them in there and it'll be fine. So I'm sure whatever is going to come of this, the the teams are going to be stubborn, the players are going to be stubborn. But certainly for fantasy, this is a major, major impact. Because if Barkley sits out the whole year, there you go. Like there's a there's a top five running back that, that you really shouldn't draft if he's sitting out the year. Jacob's obviously unknown what's going on here, but this does not sound good. <laughs> like this to me bumps both of these people down because if they miss any time at all, that could really impact them in, in a major, major way. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, now, I guess the one benefit to them being running back is that position in terms of missing training camp you can come in and learn it a lot quicker especially if you've if you're not new to the team you know like it's not like with the o-line where you have to learn new blocking schemes and like pulls and stuff like that you know like it's it's relatively straightforward yes in terms Um, of like the learning the game plan that's straightforward it's more the injuries that i'd be concerned with like the wear and tear on the player like that would be what i'd be the most concerned with is they're not getting a training camp their chances of becoming injured starts to increase. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. They're basically hitting the ground cold come the start of the season. Cause I don't think, I don't assume they would be playing in any of the preseason games either. I well, I'd imagine. No, if they want, yeah. They're going to sit at everything. I imagine they're not yeah. going to do a single thing. Yeah. So. And it, it's caused a bit of a controversy, like in the NFL, obviously, especially inside of the running back community, but basically like, a lot of big name running backs, you know, I saw Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, uh, Austin Eckler, all basically going out on social media saying like, we are an essential role to every NFL team's offense. Like we, without a running back, you don't have a, a proper functioning offense. So why are we getting paid so little? So it's kind of like, we're, we're kind of at an impasse right now between the philosophy that uh, NFL management and the players are having essentially like the players are saying you can't work without us. And the NFL management is essentially saying, you know, we understand that, but also you guys have like a three to four, maybe five year window where you're capable of producing at this level. And then we don't want to invest past that because it's going to go off the rails. Yeah. Um, And obviously that sucks if you're the player and you're, quite frankly, like putting your life on the line every time you're going out there and getting hit. Like we, we saw how real that came into focus this year with uh, this past year with DeMar, uh, with DeMar Hamlin. And you're basically being told after three to five years, we don't, we don't want to pay you anymore. Like maybe some other team can pay you. Good luck. So it's, it's going to be interesting. The, I guess, long-term effects of this, it might really change up how, the contracts are negotiated um hopefully it doesn't escalate to the point you know where like all the running backs are start sitting out like in like sign of solidarity or something because yeah. this is a like i said this isn't something that can be fixed this year like we're past that point unfortunately so if they start doing that then everybody's hurting and there's no way to fix it 
Yeah, and the way the way the running back position is has changed so much, and the way it's looked at has changed so much over the past couple of years, especially in terms of management. Like what you're saying, like management's saying, well, you've got like maybe four or five years where you can be at this top level. And a lot of teams opt for a dual running back system. A lot of teams will get rid of a veteran, like we've seen with we're not we don't want Dalvin Cook around anymore because we've got a younger guy who we think who we can believe can do it for us. So I think teams do have that attitude where they look at Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs and say, well, as good as you are, we'll throw a rookie in there and try different things and try different running back combos and we'll make it work and we'll move on from you because we don't want to pay this money. We don't want to pay this term. Certainly in terms of fantasy, it leaves a massive gaping question. So maybe this is something you and I, Josh, were talking off air. Maybe we should on air now address this about how this will impact our rankings and what we're doing with that next week. Seeing as running backs are on the table next week, and I really doubt this will be resolved by next week. I don't think they're just going to turn around and suddenly have a deal done. So assuming it's not resolved, why don't you walk us through how we're going to kind of handle that in our ranking sheets? So essentially for our rankings, we're going to keep them as with the expectation that they're going to play the full season. Um, that being said, we're going to put a little asterisk or star with them and there's going to be an explanation as to why and essentially it's going to be like this is where we project this player to play if they play all season however based on their current contract situation there is a chance that they may miss some or most or all of this upcoming season so bear that in mind when you're drafting them Uh, because both of these guys are top 10 running backs that's a first second round pick at Mm -hmm. minimum yeah. Uh, so you got to just be aware of that. If you're looking at them, you know, that that is the range of outcomes is it's not like normal, you know, like, OK, he could be a top three or OK, he's going to be like a top 20, you know, and like he might be he might finish worse than I drafted him. Like, no, the, the bottom is he might not even set foot on the field this season. So <laughs> yeah. you need to just be aware of that. But we can't. Like, I'm not going to say Josh Jacobs is going to I'm not going to rank him as RB 20 just because he's potentially going to miss some time on the field. Same thing with Saquon Barkley, because they're top 10 talent. So I have them ranked in my top 10. But at the same time, I I owe it to you as a listener, if you're going to be using my rankings to explain why he's up there and the risk that comes with drafting him. So Yeah, yeah. It's still a risk. It's just, it's hard. It's hard to look at Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs and say, well, if there's a chance they're going to play, they can be a game changer for you on your lineup. But it's really difficult to take a risk on those. So you might see them ranked higher than you start seeing people draft them, but that's just because we're we're going to go under the assumption they're playing until we hear definitively otherwise they're playing. And it's honestly, it's the same for some of these free agent running backs. Like we're going to put them in spots where we're like, hey, if they get signed to a team and in a decent situation, we believe that there, like, there's some really talented running backs out there that are still available that are going to get signed over the next little bit. We don't know probably by next week where they are. That doesn't mean they, they shouldn't be looked at. Like there are people that you'd still consider. So it's just a good thing to note. And we'll try to make sure that that's explained. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more next week when we get to the rankings of them <laughs> and we debate uh, between yeah. whether or not they're a seven or a nine or whatever, whatever we end up doing. Absolutely. 
Uh, and one last thing that I just wanted to touch on with the Jacobs Barkley situation was that apparently it's reported that Josh Jacobs was actually in a car outside of the Raiders facility, ready to sign a deal if one came in, but obviously one never came in. So he was, it's not like he doesn't want to play for them or anything like that. Like he was ready to put pen to paper, just they couldn't come to a deal on what he was worth. So, I mean, yeah, hopefully for fantasy it works out this year and hopefully both he and Barkley end up getting paid next year. But that'll be something that's going to be a storyline throughout the entire season, I think. Yeah, it is. Um, fellow running back Joe Mixon restructured his contract and took a pay cut in order to remain with the Cincinnati Bengals. So it seems like he is essentially their guy, but they they don't consider him worth what they were going to originally be paying him. But he decided he still wanted to play for the Bengals, probably give him his best chance at getting a Super Bowl appearance. Yeah. So he he agreed to not only take a pay cut, but also have his entire contract restructured so that he could stay with them. So that's, I guess, good sign for him for fantasy, for his potential value, because they're essentially con- committing to not replacing him. They got what they wanted and they get to keep him. So he should be kind of what we've seen him in the past. But Which is I, decent. Like when he's good, yeah, he's, oh, like, yeah. when he's good, he's good. He's a decent Absolutely. running back option. And I think, like again, personally, that's that's a really good sign when looking at it because if you start looking at your top 10 running backs and you say, okay, Barkley and Jacobs are question marks. Maybe they're out. Maybe you don't want to risk that, what have you. As you start going down, you're going to need other players to replace them with. And Joe Mixon is someone that, I mean, to me, he's not quite a top 10 running back, but he's someone that you can count on, can be good, He's on the cusp. He's always around there. And he's on a good offensive team that does use him and does use him in the red zone occasionally. So he gets touchdowns. He gets points. You're going to need to draft somebody here. If all these running backs are unsigned and set out, Joe Mixon starts to look really, really more appealing just because he signed his contract or restructured it, I should say. And he could end up being a top 10 if we end up missing Elliott Cook. Oh, yeah. Barkley, Jacobs, like yeah, that's four positions right there that he would one hundred percent jump into the top ten with those if those four miss any significant amount of time. Absolutely, yeah. So it it and you can get him a lot cheaper too. So absolutely worth the swing. And like I know he he got a bump up in my rankings with that news. Um, nothing crazy, obviously, but still it shows an increase in his value because now that kind of question mark is this guy going to be their guy all year? Got a lot smaller. Yeah. Definitely. Um, tight end Evan Ingram received a new three-year deal worth $42.5 million with $25.5 million guaranteed before the deadline because uh, he had not signed his franchise tag yet either. And now he doesn't need to because he uh, he got himself a nice fancy new deal. So that kind of showed the Jaguars are committed to him at tight end. Uh, he, he did great with them last season. So we'll see if he can replicate it again this year. I mean, it's an and offense that I think is going to take off. Like another so year I. of Trevor yeah. Lawrence, like another year. Calvin Ridley comes into the lineup, right? Like they, I think the pieces are there, and, and clearly they want the tight end to be a big part of this. So I think for Ingram, like that's a, again, it's a at least it's another tight end that you're starting to look at, like oh, that's somewhat appealing, as opposed to tight ends are just a roll of the dice. He's someone that you can look at being like, well, that offense is on the cusp, so he might be an interesting pick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 
DeAndre Hopkins signed with the Tennessee Titans on a two-year, $26 million deal. Uh, From the, I guess, rumors swirling on social media, it seems like the Patriots were still an option up until the end, but they weren't able, they weren't willing to commit that much money to him. So uh, DeAndre Hopkins took his talents to Tennessee, and he is easily the number one wide receiver option there. Yeah, and I know, I know, for some people, you know. Tennessee has a bit of a questionable quarterback situation, but I think to me, Hopkins has been, has played on teams with a lot of different quarterback situations, including questionable ones. And he's someone who seems to always be around and can get points and can get yardage. So I think, I think that is still a very good, he's still a very good option. This is probably a good fit for him for fantasy because he's the number one target without a doubt. Like he's going to be the guy here. So that should increase, I think, his value a bit for people. Absolutely. And the other side of that pendulum swing is it decreases Traylon Burke's value, as well as Chikuzim Okonkwo, the tight end for the Titans, who there was a good argument to be made, also could have been the number one over Burks prior to the DeAndre Hopkins news. Now they both take a back seat because obviously yes. the expectation is Hopkins is going to come in and take the majority of the work. Man, you were so high on Burks last year, like almost in a weird way. And yeah, now because he was in such a great position. Grace. Well, yeah. I mean, less and, so now, and he didn't have a great year last year. No, no, he didn't. He was in a great position last year uh, because they had no one on the team like for to receive the ball. So like he was a highly touted rookie, like let's get it in. And like it could have been a Justin Jefferson situation, but unfortunately with the quarterback play and just the state of the Titans offense last year, it it didn't pan out. So then, yeah, the expectations were okay. Maybe he can take that second step this year, but now the odds are that's not happening with DeAndre Hopkins there because he's not the guy anymore. He's the second guy. So I still think he's a talented football player. It's just his, yeah, his fantasy star has, has dimmed very much. Especially as a result of this news. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott returning to the Cowboys is reported to be extremely unlikely. I believe it was worded as essentially everyone else would have to get injured before they <laughs> would bring him back. Well, was that even an? I didn't even think that was an option. I thought there was no way he'd be coming back to the Cowboys ever. Like, I, I isn't that saying something that's already been said? Yeah. Essentially, like they're leaving the door open, but. Not unless everyone else gets hurt. Oh, like man. basically, like we will play with everyone we have before we even look at hiring you back. Is yeah, so basically what work. the what the Cowboys are saying. That doesn't work. Um, no. Also, with the Cowboys, six-time All-Pro guard and team captain Zach Martin is considering not reporting to training camp due to unhappiness with the contract and the team's lack of interest in restructuring it. Mm. So that becomes important because, like I said, training camp is kind of essential for a lot of those positions because you're the offensive schemes are changing and, and the, the blocking schemes and everything are changing. Like they have a new offensive coordinator coming in. So that's not really a good position to be missing training camp. And that could severely impact their ability to pass and, and run the ball because he's one of the guys keeping Dak Prescott and Tony Pollard from getting hit. So if he's missing training camp and he's not up to par, then that could be an issue at the start of the season until he kind of gets into the swing of things. So not overly critical, but something to keep in mind if he does miss time, like that offensive line might not be as good as it has been 
and that has a detrimental effect on the rest of the offense. Yeah. Um, Isaiah Pacheco, running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, could be added to the preseason pup list, which is the physically unable to perform. And now this is different than the regular season one, because essentially with the preseason one, you can return at any time. Like you're just put on it because you're not able to practice. But as soon as you're clear, you're good to go. Whereas if you get put on the regular season one, you're required to miss six weeks. So hopefully that whatever uh, issues he's having recovering from, I think he had two surgeries in the off season. Hopefully they're able to be, get sorted out before we get into the regular season. Cause if he gets put on that, then you're missing six weeks with him automatically. And then that's going to have a huge impact obviously on his fantasy value. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for Kansas city, like, you know, this is a pass first offense anyway, but you know, any running that happens is probably going through him. He will probably get, you know, thrown the ball as well. He'll probably be involved in the offense in different ways. But if he's also injured or missing time, then yeah, that really starts to decrease his value there. And like Kansas City is one of those teams that finds new players everywhere, all over the place. Like they're the way they're able to handle their depth. I mean, they're they're one of the best franchises at it. So absolutely, he yeah. might be out of a job very soon. Yeah, or like he might have done enough to stay on the team, but then he kind of becomes like Clyde Edwards Alaire. You know, you're yeah. just you're just there, you know. Perfect. You might get a touchdown here or there. You get involved in like a handful of plays every game, but yeah. like that's it. Yeah. So like I said, hopefully he gets it all taken care of before that becomes an issue. But like we saw last year with Hopkins missing six weeks uh, due to suspension, it takes a toll on them. Like their overall fantasy ceiling is way lower just because they don't have as many games to play. Even if they go lights out for the games they do play, there's still six games behind everyone else. So if you could draft someone who played 17 instead of 11, that's usually the guy people are going to get. Now, that being said, you can pick them up a lot of the time on the waiver wire for free or for like dirt cheap just because nobody else is willing to take that risk. And if you have a solid enough team that you can sit them on your bench and wait, it can pay off down the line, like towards fantasy football championships. But that's a unique situation that unfortunately you have to be able to judge based on what your team's doing at the time. Yeah, like you really have to keep an eye on that before you can kind of know whether or not that's going to work for you. But yeah, I mean, it's um, I mean, it's always a blow to see a player be in a situation where they're going to miss any time because you just don't know how their body's going to react. We just, too many times last year did we see people miss time and come back and they weren't good or miss time and come back and get hurt again. Um, you, you never want to see it. I don't 100% know what the injury is if it's just coming off the surgery or if there's something else that they're concerned about. But if it is just coming off a surgery, well, you just don't know how long it's going to take a player to come back. Luckily there's time, like at least this is happening now. And even if he misses some preseason time, if you get to see him in some free preseason action, even late, you might feel a bit better about him. That's why draft late (laughs) for fantasy. Talked about that a lot last week. I think that's why this is, this is why it's important because like, this is a perfect example. Here's a player who's like literal ranking will probably change between now and six weeks from now. I've never understood people who like to do their draft early in July. Like it's, it's, no, it's a bad it idea. Bad makes idea. sense to wait till the end of August, see how preseason goes, get a better sense of the rankings. I, I did confirm it is based on his recovery from okay, so there's shoulder no additional and hand injury. surgery. No, just, okay. just his recovery from both surgeries. Yeah. 
Uh, and speaking of recovery, Kyler Murray is aiming for a week one return, but is still taking it one day at a time. So essentially, his goal is to be back for week one, but no one knows if that'll be possible because we don't know what his status is going to be, and he doesn't know what his status is going to be, but that's what he's aiming for. Irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> Irrelevant. Just wait until you see my yeah. list <laughs> for, for Kyler, for, for where I think about Kyler Murray when I think about him. So, All right. One last bit of news that just came in uh, within the past hour. So Leonard Fournette is reported to be working out for the Patriots today. Um, this is interesting to me. Like this is very, very, very interesting to me um, because I think that even though I know we'll talk about how this could decrease Stevenson's uh, value, yep. um, but I think one of the things we've seen out of the Patriots, certainly for Patriots football fans and for that division, if Fournette signs there and they have a one-two punch like that at, in the running game, I think that actually can open up some opportunities for Mac Jones and the receiving core or the tight end or what have you, because if they establish a good running game, teams will start preparing for it and gives a young quarterback like Mac Jones more time in the pocket, more opportunities that people have to plan for the running and they can do some, some trick plays. They can do some fakes. They can do things like that. I actually think that adding these types of running back situations where you have another really good one can actually open up some passing opportunities. So it makes it very interesting. Certainly on a team standpoint, I think the Patriots end up getting a little bit better in what is turning out to be probably one of the best divisions in football this year. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, like you said, though, if that does come to pass, going to be a blow to Ramondre Stevenson's fantasy yes, value. Yeah. Because he, he definitely he definitely will not be the lone wolf anymore. And like I've said multiple times throughout this offseason, the Patriots don't care about fantasy and will use three or four running backs in a game. Just okay. depends on the situation. They don't care. The Bill Felichek doesn't care about you at all. <laughs> he no. wants to win football games. And that's yeah. what he wants. And that's the thing. Like that's in terms of good coaching strategy, it's a great if they get him, it's a great move. Because Fournette, Stevenson, it's they're thinking, okay, hey, we got a great one-two punch that can open up opportunities elsewhere. Like Fournette to me would sort of like like Stevenson would sort of move down the list of those starting running backs, but Fournette would be near the top for me of that second group of running backs who are second on a team, but you know they're going to get in big situations. Like you know Fournette's going to be used in big situations. You know they're going to give them opportunities. Even when there were other running back options, there were always a million of them in in uh with the Bucks, Fournette showed his his ability to make do big game breaking moments. He showed his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield from Brady. Like I think that there's there's a good connection here and I think that Fournette would fit in really well uh with the Patriots. But yes, I think Ramondre Stevenson's value is gonna drop. Fournette's might go up a little bit because I feel like they're gonna use him. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent agree. All right, so before we move into our draft strategies, I just want to remind everyone, like, if you have any fan questions for us, feel free to reach out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, on threads. You can find us at Conquer Draft. You can go to ConquerDraft.com, go to our podcast page. We've got a form there you can fill out. Or you can contact us directly by email at contact at ConquerDraft.com. We love hearing from you, so please don't hesitate. 
And now I guess we'll just stick with with running backs with our first strategy, and we'll go into the RB heavy strategy. So essentially, the RB heavy strategy or running back heavy strategy consists of taking a running back with both of your first or first, second, or also your third picks of the draft. So one and two or one, two and three. Out of three picks, two of them uh, will be running backs, essentially. Essentially, at minimum, two of your first three picks will be running back, probably the first two and sometimes the third, depending on the landscape of your draft. So obviously this can be extremely rewarding because going RB heavy is probably your only chance of getting like a Jonathan Taylor, a Christian McCaffrey type player. Uh, The pros to this draft strategy are that you're guaranteed at least one elite running back, possibly two if you get lucky, depending on where your placement is, what other people in the draft are doing. And you can completely avoid the middle round running backs, which are often basically a no man's land of missed opportunities and failed expectations. These are like where you get the guys who are who have been okay in the past. They're going to a new team. Maybe they get a spark of life. A lot of the time they don't pan out. So you you don't really want to be looking for your your go to running back in the fourth and fifth rounds because you're going to be very disappointed. And it lets you take the option of swinging for the fence late in the draft you know go find a rookie running back player bouncing back from injury maybe you go and get a backup for one of your elite guys you know like if you got christian mccaffrey he gets injured a lot so it might not be a bad idea to get his backup you know what i mean you can do that because you've already got your elite running backs at the start of the draft so now you don't really need to worry about it later on now the cons for the running back heavy strategy if you're positioned late in the draft so let's say you're on a 12 team league and you're picking 12th odds are a lot of those elite running backs are going to be gone before you even get to do your first pick. Mm-hmm. So while it doesn't necessarily mean you have to abandon it, you got to be very aware of what everyone else is taking in terms of positions, because if everyone else has gone running back ahead of you, well, now you're taking essentially the 12th best running back to be your number one guy. And then you get to pick again. So if you did now you took 12 and 13, by the time you get to pick again, There's no good running backs left anymore and probably no good wide receivers and some quarterbacks and tight ends are gone too. So you've set yourself, basically, you're starting way, way behind everyone else. And unless you got really lucky with your picks and they both have breakout years, you you run a risk of having a very weak overall team. And the other con to the strategy is if one or both of those guys that you pick get injured, you just got torpedoed. Like your, your team's done. Well, and I think it's worth. No, go ahead. ahead. No, well, it's worth bringing up that, you know, the running backs you named, McCafferty, Taylor, have had, both of them have had major injuries in the past, like, handful of years. So running backs getting hurt is getting more and more likely. Like, they are are the position that is being protected the less. Like, there's so many rules in there to protect quarterbacks because they don't want them to be hurt. And there's so many rules to improve offensive efficiency, like the drop of a hat, there's pass interference. So it just seems like the running back in the trench is most likely to get injured. Like it just, it just keeps happening. Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, who a couple years ago was injured and missed pretty much a whole season. This happens to their, these elite running backs all the time. So it is risky. The reward is also great (laughs) because if you get, if you get Christian McCaffrey, 
and someone else, another really strong running back, and they have seasons like McCaffrey did last year, you're in fantastic shape. But it's 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 just worth noting that running backs get hurt a lot. And we're gonna I think we're just gonna see running backs get hurt more and more because look how much the NFL is devaluing that position all over the place. Yeah. They're, they're literally being devalued in contract negotiations. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because, and there's a reason why, unfortunately, because yes, that's the way they're looking at it. How? Yeah, and how the lifespan of a running back is looked at as quite short. It's not looked at quite the same way as a quarter, the importance of a quarterback. And, and even elite receivers are saying, we, want, we need a quarterback-receiver combo, and then we can, we can make do with whatever we need to a running back, so we're going to have two. So I think that the strategy, yeah, has a lot of great pros and then the cons are very clear. You just don't know what's going to happen. How many elite running backs turn into to a 1A, 1B all the time? Like Dalvin Cook turning yeah. into that player that's like, well, now, now, I mean, he's released. But before, it's like, well, is Matheson going to get more? Is he going to get more? Like, what's going to happen? Like, there's questions that are coming into that. That amazing season Jandre Swift had. And then next year, the Lions are like, no, 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 you got to share the backfield now. Right. So you just see it happen all the time. And I think that there's a lot of risk with this kind of of uh, of approach. And if you're lucky and you get what happened with McCaffrey, if Taylor can have a bounce back year this year and McCaffrey, if you have McCaffrey and Henry or McCaffrey and someone else, like if you have McCaffrey and Henry, you're probably just winning because like those (laughs) that that's your combo. But again, you're right. If if one or both get hurt, you're in a lot of trouble because you're probably weaker in a lot of other positions. Yeah, that was going to be my final point was if you commit to going running back heavy, you're accepting that you're going to be weaker elsewhere. Yeah. So if those two guys get torpedoed, then you don't have a, another elite position to rely on, essentially. Like maybe you get lucky and you got in a, maybe you got Mark Andrews in the third round to be like your elite tight end and he can kind of tide you over. Mm-hmm. But you probably, if, if, if you went McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Mark Andrews, I guarantee you, you don't have an elite wide receiver on your team. You no, have... there's no way. Not by then. You're not going to have one. They they will be selected, and by the time yeah. you want to pick a receiver, you're not you're not getting an elite one. No, you've got good wide receivers, but good is not going to win you weeks team. when you lose your elite. So just just keep all that in mind. And and the other thing with running backs too is we never know when the wheels are going to fall off. You know, like. Because that that's just, and I mean, it happens with wide receivers too. As players age, you know, they have injuries piling up in their history. You know, eventually they start to lose a step in terms of their speed, their physical ability. And when that happens in the NFL, like that's a very fast impact. Yeah. And and we see it, unfortunately, you know, like, um, like, like we've seen in the past with uh, Adrian Peterson, Alvin Kamara. We, we've seen it with these elite players and, it's a timing game of when, when is it all going to go sideways? And you don't want to be the guy who drafts them the year it happens. No, so you got to, you got to keep that in mind. I mean, like look at Derrick Henry, like it's, it's mind blowing what he's been able to do. And I think for what the past three years, everyone has said, okay, this is the year where it all goes downhill and it still hasn't, but eventually that is going to happen. And mathematically, (laughs) the (laughs) mathematically, the, uh, the odds of it happening every year we move forward now it gets higher and higher so if you take him as a pick yeah you have the op- you have the uh, opportunity to have a top 3 top 4 potential running back but you also have the opportunity if that's the year that his body literally breaks down on the field and he can't do it anymore because he's been running so much for so many years now 
So we're gonna we're gonna talk about this a lot more next week with our rankings. But one of the things that I think is very clear and needs to be talked about um, across the board for this year for fantasy, this is a big question mark year for running backs that that we I don't think we've seen in a while. I mean, Derrick Henry is a question mark coming into this year. I think that's very clear. Is Jonathan Taylor gonna bounce back? Who knows? We we hope so. We think the skills there. You just don't know what's gonna happen to Jonathan Taylor this year. And you have running backs sitting out, refusing to attend training camp, currently free agents, feeling devalued, missing mini camps. This is gonna this could be a complete and total roll of the dice, with the exception of a few players. Where if you don't get Christian McCafferty or or maybe even Jonathan Taylor, or maybe even Ezekiel Elliott, no, sorry, not Elliott, um uh the Chargers. I was trying to come with the Chargers. Eckler, thank you. Eckler, Uh, Eckler, outside of them, you might be rolling to die on someone anyway. So running backs this year, I think, are going to be really tough. We're going to talk about this a lot next year because I feel like we got to put a star next to a lot of the people we talk about next week. And there's good, like, I know I have a lot to say about my choices saying, well, I'm ranking them here so long as these following things happen. And that's, uh, that's a pretty difficult spot to be in. Yeah, no, that's fair. All right. Well, the opposite strategy to RB heavy is called zero RB, zero running back. And you can probably guess where this goes because it's exactly <laughs> as it sounds. The opposite of what we just said. <laughs> exactly. Uh, another name for this could be considered wide receiver heavy. But essentially, you don't draft a single running back through the first two rounds, maybe even in the third round, and you focus on other positions. So typically, you would focus on maybe two wide receivers and a quarterback. Maybe you do three wide receivers. Maybe you do two wide receivers, tight end, something like that. And essentially, you're just looking to get uh, you're looking to get a running back outside of those first three rounds, who's probably not going to be elite, but maybe you get lucky, you get a, still get a pretty good one. And I think you mentioned in the first strategy that, you know, it's hard to go running back heavy when you have the 12th pick, for example. You have the last pick in your draft. Well, this this zero running back strategy might be the one to go with if you are picking at the end. If you know a bunch of elite running backs are going, if you know maybe even a couple quarterbacks are going, you might be able to get one or two of the top wide receivers in your first or second pick and then move on from there. Um, and I like, I again, I will say... It's kind of almost what I had to do last year. I did get a running back in my, with my first pick, but my second pick was a wide receiver. My third pick was wide receiver, and I didn't, you know, I didn't get another running back or a quarterback till later. And that's just because I had such terrible draft positions. So you, do, you know, these strategies that we're bringing up today, you might have to have a couple of them in your back pocket, and then you're ready to kind of use it depending upon where you draft. If if you don't know until you show up, I know some people, Josh, like they know their rankings already. I don't know if people just pre-set it so you can plan around it. I don't know, but that's I, I've heard that some people know weeks in advance where their draft rankings. I, I like showing up and then you do it and then it's you know you find out day of, but you know, to each his own. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, like we talked about with the draft do's and don'ts, you know, like the name of the game is be flexible, be water, you know, always be adapting. So yeah, you might enter in thinking, okay, I'm going RB heavy because I really want to get McCaffrey and or uh, Eckler, and I know I'm going to get my elite running back, and then, yeah, you're the 12th pick. So you might have to pivot and just say, well, there goes that strategy. I'm going zero RB, I guess, because I'm going to get Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase or Cooper Cup. And if you go zero RB, 
that's probably your best chance to get one of those elite players. Uh, because you're guaranteed, essentially, to get one of them. Like, at least a top five uh, wide receiver, assuming everyone else isn't doing the same thing. So, again, yeah. pay attention to what everyone else is doing. I mean, but, even even in the 12th pick, like, the, the 12th best player overall in the league is probably still a relatively good something position. Like, re- relatively good wide receiver. Like, uh, chances are. Like you're going to get even even there you're going to get somebody, um, but I think I think you do have to wait and see on a strategy like this. I don't like this isn't my favorite kind of strategy to go with either. Like I just don't think, you know, I think you you want to have a strong running back um, in in your top picks, but it's it's just not always achievable. Once you get past, especially this year, once you get past three or four of them, you're taking a big big risk, and you might feel like you know what this elite wide receiver is less of a risk than this elite running back who might be missing some time. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And yeah, like going right now in terms of ADP, like if you're picking at the 12th pick, you're still looking at potentially getting like Tyree kill or Stefan Diggs. That's a great option to have as your number one wide receiver. And then with this strategy, you can go and pick up a second one or you can switch to another skill position like tight end. And you can grab the Travis, like, well, maybe not Travis Kelsey, but you can definitely get Mark Andrews if you wanted, or you can go and get uh, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. Like, you ha- you have options there. Um, and honestly, depending on your league size, you might even be able to go and grab a good starting running back with this strategy. Like, you, you might still work, shape out okay. Like, if you're in an eight or ten team league, you can probably still get a good running back, even going zero RB in the first few rounds. Yeah. You're just not going to get an elite one. No. So as long as the players that you pick to be elite in your other positions work out, they you still have a chance to kind of cover it all off. Um, but like with the previous uh, strategy, there's cons to this one as well. So depending on your league size, your position in the draft, and what everyone else is doing, your RB1 for your team is probably going to be from those no man's land at middle rounds. So mm. essentially, you're just throwing a dart and hoping you hit the bullseye because there's a high chance that whoever you pick to be your RB one is not going to be that great. Right. Not impossible. Not impossible. Every season we have players who leap up the, uh, from where they were ranked ahead of season and end up in the top three, top five. Um, And you can certainly get lucky and do that, but odds are it's probably not going to happen. You're probably going to get a guy who is sharing a workload or is attached to a really poor offense and they're just not scoring as many points. And essentially, you're leaning on your wide receivers. So this strategy is kind of more geared towards a PPR-based league because then at least you're getting those extra points that way. And essentially, if if you're the guys that you pick to be elite don't pan out for whatever reason, injury, they just don't have as good of a year as everyone kind of expected, then just like with the previous strategy, you're weak everywhere else. And you might not have enough talent everywhere else to kind of make up for that difference. All right, the third strategy that we have is called the tight end plus strategy. So this one is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, It's essentially you're combining one of the previously two mentioned strategies while taking a tight end with one of your first two picks. So this is a strategy that's best used when you're drafting from a late position. So something to keep in mind, you know, like like Mike talked about, 
in the draft do's and don'ts, you know, just because you're drafting last doesn't mean you're screwed. You can still get great players. You just have to strategize differently. That's all. Like this year, you might not be able to get Travis Kelsey, but in previous years, Travis Kelsey would always go around the end of the first start of the second. So if you were in the 12th spot, you could easily get Kelsey and a great wide receiver or a pretty good running back. And like, that's a great foundation for your team. So maybe you get lucky you can still scoop Travis Kelsey there this year, but you can definitely get yourself like a Mark Andrews, like go get yourself Stefan Diggs and Mark Andrews, go get yourself Tyreek Hill, and Mark Andrews. If you want to do a tight end plus strategy, uh, the pro is to this strategy is that if you manage to snag one of the few elite tight ends, you've got a huge positional advantage over your teammates. Like we talked about throughout this whole past fantasy football season, the tight end landscape is sketchy. So if you don't have one of those elite guys, you are just rolling the dice week after week after week. So just to put some numbers in your head, the average tight end one points and half point scoring over the past five years was 244 points. That drops off to 177 average points by tight end three. So that is set almost 70 points different between first and third tight end. By tight end five, it's dropped another 20. And by tight end 10, they were only averaging 119 points. We're talking well over 120 points difference between the number one tight end and uh, still a top 10 tight end. So that is a huge difference maker for your roster and can make up for a lot of everything else going wrong. Like your best running back goes down, but you still had some good ones that elite tight end can save you. Same thing with your wide receivers. They can be that essentially an extra wide receiver for your team and push you through whatever adversity your team is facing. The cons to this though, is if you pick wrong, you're done. That that's a huge blow to your season. Or even if you picked right, but then they get injured, that can cripple you too, because you're stuck picking up whoever's left on the waiver wire. Cause you have to start a tight end every week. You absolutely have to start one. And whoever you pick up on the waiver wire, they're probably not going to be very good. They're, they're not going to do anything worthwhile for your team. And on top of that, you missed out on the opportunity of picking a, an elite running back or maybe an elite wide receiver with one of your first two picks. So now you're at a disadvantage with all the other position groups in your matchups because you might be going up against someone who picked two, picked an elite wide receiver and an elite running back to start or two elite wide receivers, what have you. And finally... Yes, you are at a huge positional advantage with your elite tight end, but there's more than one elite tight end usually. Usually there's three every season. Sometimes there's only two, but it's always more than one. We've got Kelsey, we've got Mark Andrews, George Kittle, always a chance. TJ Hawkinson came out of nowhere last year. Like, Yeah, like he's kind of, I think, elevated himself into a position where you could talk about him in the in the top five this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Even if you want to look at it just for the top five, well, that's five other teams you're going up against where you guys are on an even playing field. So just because you have Travis Kelsey on your team, you might still lose because he has Mark Andrews and his elite players at other positions do better than yours. You know, it is what it is. But for the most part, it gives you a huge bonus that a lot of other teams aren't going to have and can be a good way to, honestly, good way to really clinch a playoff spot. Because those are the guys that are difference makers. Whereas if you're rolling the dice every week, you have to get lucky every single week. If you get it wrong, especially come playoff time, then that's it. Your season's over. Yeah, I mean, of, of the three strategies, 
this wouldn't be one of my favorites personally, but I can see the advantage certainly in terms of those one-to-one matchups. If you can make sure that you've got that one-to-one matchup in your league covered with an elite tight end, you've got to play one. They're in the game. They can be game breakers. Um, then, then definitely do it. The big issue for me with tight ends is there's really, really only five that, that I would even look at and be like, oh, I, I really want this one. And then from there, it's like, well, if I can't get one of these five, I don't really care because the rest of it is a big, uh, who knows? Someone's going to emerge. There's going to be good tight ends each year, but it's it's such a roll of the dice every time. Um, but I can see it in terms of, hey, move into a position or get into a position where you're like, okay, I can at least get one of these five tight ends and I need to put them on my team. I can totally understand why that would be important. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. Like, if if for whatever reason you're trying to take him with your second pick, like let's say you drafted in the middle of the first round, or maybe, maybe you drafted with the number one overall pick, you took a running back or a wide receiver, um, and by the time it comes back to you, like if three or four tight ends already left because there's three or four guys or, or girls taking this uh, this strategy, well, there goes that strategy for you. You got to change gears because you don't want to be taken maybe the fifth or sixth best tight end with your second overall pick. That is going to just absolutely plummet your team's value. So at that point, yeah, change gears, move on. Yeah. And that brings us to our final draft strategy, which is the QB plus. So quarterback plus strategy is essentially the same as the tight end, but swap out the position. So it's not one that I personally like to pursue, but it can absolutely be worthwhile. Essentially, you're taking a quarterback with one of your first two picks. This is best used when you're drafting in that mid to late position. So maybe if you're in a 12 team league, you're between five and eight. Uh, Because then you can still get an elite running back or wide receiver, but you can also pick up an elite QB like uh, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, or Jalen Hurts. So the pros to this, same thing with like the tight ends. If you get an elite QB, you have a solid foundation to build your team on and a huge positional advantage because both quarterback and tight end are one-off positions where each team only gets to play one. It's not like with running backs and wide receivers where you can play two or three each week. So you only have that one shot to do well and you've given yourself an elite option in that spot. So you don't have to worry about it. You're not really wondering, oh, who should I start this week? Like it's locked in for you. And some numbers to kind of back that up. So the average quarterback one points in six point passing touchdown scoring over the past five years was 491 points each year. By quarterback five, that those points dropped down to an average of 393. So again, a hundred point difference. And by the time you drop down to quarterback 10, it drops another 50 or so points to 347. So that's a 150 point difference between quarterback 10 and quarterback one on average over the past five years. So having that QB one huge positional advantage and a huge weekly advantage to your team. Now the cons that come with this, if your elite quarterback has a poor season, so let's look at Justin Herbert last season, Lamar Jackson, the year before, then you wasted one of your first picks and you could have gotten an equivalent finishing quarterback with a much later pick. If you had waited, right? If you know, if, your second overall pick finishes as the quarterback 10. Well, you probably could have gotten the guy who finished at eight, nine, seven, maybe even quarterback six with like a fifth, fourth, sixth, seventh 
Sometimes you can even get them undrafted, you know, like it, they're all over the place, unfortunately. And at the end of the day, you wasted that pick. Yeah. And on top of that, you missed out on picking at a second top tier wide receiver or running back. So you put yourself at a disadvantage everywhere else. And same thing with tight end. You only have that positional advantage when you're going up against someone who doesn't also have it. If you have Patrick Mahomes and the guy you're or a girl you're playing has Josh Allen, well, you don't really have much of an advantage over them. You guys are on pretty equal playing field. And you always run the risk that somebody picked a quarterback later in the draft, maybe in a deep round, and they have a breakout season. We saw that two seasons ago with Jalen Hurts. We yeah, saw it last year yeah. with Tua Tagovailoa. And odds are we're probably going to see it again this year. So if you're committing to that, you need to be 100% sure that the guy that you're picking is going to be elite. Because if you get that even slightly wrong, your team is going to be well behind everyone else. And someone who waited, picked a sneaky quarterback in the middle to the late round picks is going to have a well-rounded team everywhere else. And they're going to steamroll you. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, um, I've used this strategy many times. I did not use it last year, but I did use it the year before um, where I also made it to the final and also finished second. So it, you know, it, it can help. I, there are four quarterbacks I would do this strategy with four after those four, if they're not available, then I wouldn't pick a quarterback in the first round, but it's, it, but there are four that I think are more valuable than, than any of the running backs or wide receivers out there because of the stats you just shared about the amount of points that they're going to score because three of those four are like having a running back and a quarterback. And that's to me where that advantage is. If they can run, if you have a quarterback who runs and that's part of their game plan, it, you know, it makes, it makes them all, all the difference to me because you kind of have that two, two and one, they can get you 30 plus points a game. We see it happen consistently. Um, it is a strategy I think has worked before. Draft position matters a lot. Um, when you're drafting later, especially in a pool where quarterbacks go fast and furious, if that happens, then you're in a position where you're probably going to have to make an adjustment. But there are four that if are if they're if one of those four are there when it comes to me in the first round, I'm probably picking them. Um, and that that just is because they're going to outscore the the next you know the number one running back. I, I truly believe that. So it, it can work. It can blow up in your face because then suddenly you're weaker in other positions where other your opponents have strong in that position. So it's harder. Um, I think that there are just benefits to having one of the best offensive players in the league. And I think four of those best offensive players in leagues are, are the quarterbacks. So there's an advantage to that. Yep, there absolutely is. And like Mike said, yeah, you should be targeting a mobile quarterback because you get the best of both worlds. If you target a pocket passer, you're essentially, they need to score multiple touchdowns a game every single week. Otherwise, their value implodes. You need minimum kind of three touchdowns every single game from them to compete with those mobile quarterbacks who can easily get more than touchdowns worth of points just by doing a long run or a rushing touchdown. So just keep that in mind. And like I said earlier in the episode, like we, Mike and I both said in the past few episodes talking about the draft, these strategies are basically guidelines, but you can't just put the blinders on and say, this is what I'm doing. Like you're going to change probably once you get into the draft, you might have to change multiple times in the draft just based on what mm -hmm. everyone else is doing to ensure that you have the best overall team. There are four, four good strategies that you can use, but be ready to, to have more than one 
that you're thinking about just because you don't know what can happen. So it's, it's good to be sitting there with multiple strategies ready that you're comfortable with that you've planned for. Yeah. And practice them. Like I, I, like I've said before, I'm a huge fan of mock drafts. They're Me too, and great. A lot of people don't like them. I, I think mock drafts are really good. Like I think that's good practice. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're practicing and that's where you get to try it out. You know, like I don't do quarterback uh, plus strategy for the most part. I've been trying it out in mock drafts, especially if I'm in those mid round, uh, mid pick ranges. So I get a feel, I get a look at the end of the, the draft, see what my roster looks like. Okay. Yeah. I could probably actually work with that, you know, or I might say, Hey, no, I'm out. But then you at least know what you're working with and what kind of players you can expect to come to you when you're in your actual draft. So don't be afraid to mock draft and don't be afraid to try something out. Try something new. Try out these strategies. See which ones work for you. See which ones you like before you get into your actual fantasy football draft. Exactly. (laughs) But that is it for today. Those are our draft strategies. Feel free to listen to these again before you get into your... uh, your draft, go and listen to the draft do's and don'ts episodes. That way it's all fresh in your mind. As of next week, we're going to be kicking off our rankings and we're going to be starting with running backs. Thanks for listening. Take care. Stay safe. 